I liked Davis Webb coming out. Yeah, you know, I, I thought he could use a year or two of development, but I also think he has the tools. You know, physically he is. Everybody raves about Josh Allen. Davis Webb is right there. That was Chris Flum from Big Blue View on SB Nation, and this is the J Reels podcast. Hey guys and gals, how's it going? Everything all right? Hope you're in good spirits and health upon listening to this. Welcome or welcome back to the J Reels Podcast. I'm your host, J Reels. Fighting a little bit of uh, an allergy, which for the first time in 49 years, I'm battling. And I can't believe that it happened the day before this recording, which it's Monday, uh, April the 23rd in the year of our Lord, 2018. Uh, after a week off, I'm back at it, delivering the latest and greatest of what goes on here in the world of sports. My guest on the podcast today is Chris Flum, who writes for Big Blue View on SB Nation to discuss the New York Giants and the upcoming NFL Draft on Thursday. Our discussion entails the following. What will the Giants do with the number two overall pick? Will they trade down? Should they draft a quarterback, a running back, pass rusher, offensive lineman? If they draft a quarterback, what does that mean for Eli Manning? Fascinating talk, not just for the football fan, but especially the New York Giant Big Blue G-Men fan and in what's going to be the most highly anticipated Giants draft probably ever. Uh, you could go back to 1981, Lawrence Taylor, number two pick overall. Uh, that's probably the last time that you could actually say, all right, you could probably say Eli Manning, I get that. But remember, they drafted Phillip Rivers first, and then they made the swap with San Diego. Uh, so that, that, of course, could be remiss to leave out. But nevertheless, this is just as big, considering where we are at this juncture of the giant franchise with the new GM coming in in Dave Gettleman, obviously the new coach with Pat Shermer. So certainly uh, big times and uh, big decisions await come Thursday night down in Dallas for the NFL draft. Later, you'll hear my take on New York Mets pitcher Matt Harvey's demotion to the bullpen on whether it's a good thing or not. Also, a thought on the Washington Capitals as they play Game 6 tonight of their first-round series against the Columbus Blue Jackets. And I'm sure people are probably saying, Washington Capitals? Jay Reels, who cares? Who cares about hockey? Who cares about the Capitals? That's the last thing you want to hear. Well, guess what? I have a brief take on it. Not going to spend too much time, but it revolves around teams that have high aspirations Stanley Cup aspirations, and OA seem to gag in the biggest moments. And sad to say, dumpster fires in sports are just as sexy and just as appealing as a team that has been rolling and is a juggernaut and goes right to the top and winning the brass ring, the top prize, whatever that may be in whatever sport we're talking about. But uh, And also a couple of show updates before we sign off. Before we get to all that, here's Chris Flum on the New York Giants. All right, Chris, uh, once again, I appreciate you uh, coming on uh, today to uh, share your thoughts on what's going to possibly happen with the uh, Giants come uh, Thursday night. But uh, before we get started, uh, my first question to you is uh, give us a little background about yourself, You know how you got to writing for uh, Big Blue View. Uh, a little bit of an interesting story. I pretty much got plucked uh, out of the comments section after a few uh, fan posts breaking down film on prospects and things like that back after the oh, 2013 draft during the 2013 season. Oh, wow. Interesting. So look at that. So now yep. you're going back five years, and since then you've been uh, on the staff ever since. Yep. Oh, so <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of weird that way. <laughs> well, that's good. I'm sure it's, it must have, been, uh, must have been a great ride now, considering that was uh, post-Super Bowl 46. I know a lot hasn't happened as far as you know, success on the field, even though, of course, they made it to the playoffs last season, or the season before, I should say. And uh, now we have the draft upcoming, so I'm sure it's uh, a lot of buildup uh, leading up to Thursday, especially w- with what you do. Oh, yeah. It's been, it's been a long few months, I can tell you that. <laughs> no, absolutely. So uh, so let's get uh, right to it. Uh, I'm going to actually bookend this discussion with you by asking this one question, and then later on you'll see where I'm going. Um, so if you're Dave Gettleman, as of today, which, of course – Still three days away from the draft. Uh, with your number two overall pick, who would you select and why? If, uh, if I'm Dave Gittleman, I think who I'm selecting kind of depends on who the Cleveland Browns are selecting. Right. And, of course, a lot of I people... Know. Oh, go ahead. No, what were you going to say? I was going to say, I, I know I want uh, Sam Darnold, out of, quarterback out of USC, but if he winds up going first overall, then I'm going to have to take a look at my backup plans and... See who pounds the table the loudest. 
Okay, and I know with the Browns, you never know. I mean, they could, uh, you know, they're certainly a dumpster fire as far as their front office and organization is uh, concerned, although now they know that they have to get this right considering they have the number one and number four picks overall. But uh, for argument's sake, let's say if they do draft Sam Darnold, uh, where would you go at that point if you're Dave Gettleman? First thing I'm doing is picking up the phone and seeing what my offers are, see who else might want to move up, see trade back a little bit, see if I can't get some value for the pick, add to my roster. Okay. And if I don't like the the offers I'm getting, I'll look at one of the other quarterbacks, mm-hmm. either uh, Josh Rosen, Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield. Right. Or I'm looking at Saquon Barkley or Bradley Chubb. Okay, so your pecking order would be if Darnold is off the table, you're going to go with either any of the quarterbacks that you mentioned or Saquon Barkley, correct? Probably. Okay. Now, I, no, I can't I, imagine my – sorry. No, go ahead. Yeah, I, can't, I can't see my new defensive coordinator, James Betcher, pounding the table pretty hard for the uh, edge rusher to replace JPP because that's an area we're pretty thin on. Right. Yeah, I would think if this was Jerry Reese's uh, tenure, he would probably go in that direction considering he would be, uh, you know, his allegiance would stick with Eli. We all know how much that they uh, stockpiled on pass rushers back when they won those Super Bowl titles, uh, you know, Super Bowl 42 and 46. But obviously that is not the case this time around with the new sheriff, the aforementioned Dave Gettleman in the mix. All right, so then your thinking is, is that you go with the quarterback, which me personally, that's the way to go. Uh, we understand Eli being, you know, 37 years old and, having a couple years left on his deal, uh, you would think that that's where the Giants would go. But that's what makes this so fascinating from the Giant perspective, if they're going to draft a quarterback or the, would they trade down and maybe even, I don't even think about getting a quarterback, they may go even offensive guard with uh, Quentin Nelson from Notre Dame or even maybe with Brandon Chubb. But my thinking is, and I'm sure you probably feel the same way, even if Darnold, let's just say for argument's sake, if Darnold is available at number two, do you believe the Giants would go that route if he is available, barring some miraculous choice by the Cleveland Browns come Thursday night. Yeah, I think if Darnold is available, he's the pick. Yeah, he's he'd give him stability for the future, but and this is not me pretending to be Dave Gettleman myself personally, I think he's far enough away he wouldn't really push Eli Manning just yet and create a uh awkward quarterback controversy after the way things went down last year. No, of course. And I would think that Gettleman has had this discussion with Eli. I don't know if that's anything that you're privy to, or obviously you haven't heard any stories about that, but considering maybe it will take place in the next 48 hours, that if Gettleman decides to say, hey, let's say Saquon Barkley is the number one pick overall, would Gettleman have that conversation with Eli to say, listen, this is what we're looking at. If this particular player is there, we're thinking of drafting him. Do you think Gettleman's going to come in with that type of attitude, knowing that if the possibility of Sam Darnold or if that quarterback does fall into their lap, that they would address that with Eli, knowing that down the road that this is going to be this person's team, that at any given moment it, you know, Eli could be expendable here? I think they've got a lot of respect for Eli, and they certainly don't want to uh, you know, do him wrong. Right. But at the end of the day, they have to know that they're beholden to the future of the franchise not Eli Manning right now. Mm-hmm. No, I, it, it's definitely a tight rope to walk. But oh, it is sure. Yeah, you know, eventually their jobs will be on the line for this pick. Oh, of course, and uh, I, and it's interesting because I haven't really gauged from a lot of the Giant fans, uh, you know, friends of mine, as who they would pick. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people that would want to, you know, let's say, draft uh, Saquon Barkley. I understand he's going to bring uh, a lot of excitement to that offense, especially what we have with the wide receivers. Uh, not only that, but also you know Evan Ingram. You got to add him to the mix. Yep. Um, I I would think the safe pick if they do trade down would be the draft Quentin Nelson, the guard, only because they could certainly use more offensive line help. Uh, oh, but yeah. but and, and as you said, I mean this is something that they certainly is going to fall on the feet of Dave Gettleman because I'm sure there's a lot of fans that may want another quarterback. And this isn't a knock on Eli by any stretch of the imagination, but just knowing that hey, we have this guy waiting in the wings because. We all know the quarterback position in the NFL is at a premium, and if you have the opportunity to get that guy, you try to get him. No disrespect. It's not like you're going to throw Eli out to the Wolves, but 
my logic, and I'm sure the same logic for you, I would think to a certain extent, Chris, is to try to get that guy, groom him, and have a Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers type of deal where you could just seamlessly transition from the old guard to the new. Yeah, and you still have another five picks right now, as things stand now, to add to the team and build around Eli. Hey, listen, I understand it's a tricky situation. It'll be fascinating to know in the days to come if this conversation would take place between you know Dave Gettleman and Eli Manning. Uh, I'm sure Eli definitely wants to play out his contract and maybe even beyond for that matter. Going back to Barkley for a second, do you think if the Giants were to draft him, so let's say if Darnold goes one and if they happen to go the route of Saquon Barkley, do you think that this team, as it, the way it's constructed now, is a threat to get back not only to the postseason but make a Super Bowl run? Well, I wouldn't hang the, hang the Super Bowl on them. They you know, people did that last year, and it didn't exactly turn out too well. Uh, I would definitely like to see them add more offensive linemen. Uh, there's been rumors come out in the last couple of days they might be thinking about trying to move Eric Flowers either on draft day or shortly before, something like that, uh, which I, once they signed Nate Solder, I figured that pretty much put paid to his career as a giant. Hmm. I could be wrong, but you know he's a guy who's always had technique, technique issues, and moving him to a position he's never played before is not going to suddenly make them better. Right, and I know that there was also uh, words that maybe – Eric Flowers be moved to right tackle considering the signing of Nate Solder and possibly putting him there, which would be obviously a lot safer for him considering the struggles that he had at left tackle. What do you think about that possibly moving forward into training camp? Um, he's basically going to have to completely relearn how to play offensive tackle. And right tackle isn't any easier than left. You know, you figure he's going to be facing guys like uh, Brandon Graham or, you know, potentially Von Miller or. You know, J.J. Watt rushes from the right, the offensive right side. You know, mm-hmm. he's going to be facing plenty of uh, top-tier pass rushers on the right side. No, of so. course. No, absolutely. And the thing is, with Flowers, as we all know, he certainly has uh, struggled. Considering the offensive line, now, if they were to trade back, and again, this is all speculation, so we can't really, you know, it's not as if we're in their uh, draft room, you know, the war draft room of the Giants. but. Yeah. Do you think that there's a trade that may be in the works? Whether you think they would move back for Denver or even move another slot? Is anything you heard about that uh, You know, coming up the pike? There have been some rumors earlier in the year and then they've come back around again that maybe they could be uh, talking to Cleveland, moving back to four so Cleveland could secure Saquon Barkley, mm. which kind of makes a little bit of sense considering how Dave Gettleman has gushed about him in the media. Right. That is unusual, especially for somebody who's, who's you know normally has a really good poker face to basically come out and all but put turn in the card you know a week before the draft. Right, right, and you know it's another fascinating angle from this too, Chris. And I'm sure it's probably been bandied about uh, you know amongst your colleagues is the Jets right below them because let's just say for argument's sake, Donald gets taken as number one. I'm sure a lot of people in the Jet camp, and the early rumors have it that they would probably select Baker Mayfield, but who knows? You know, Would they even pick up the phone to call Dave Gettleman? Would the Jet brass even think about maybe trying to move up a slot, considering that, of course, they could take some of the Jet picks, and even though I know the Jets gave away, not like they gave away, but the Jets traded uh, their two number twos when they uh, swapped with Indianapolis from six to three, but uh, to me, that's an interesting dynamic if you put the Jets in there, considering if Donald goes first, and if their quarterback, whomever that may be on their draft board, may not be there, not knowing what the Giants would take, I think is, uh, is pretty interesting, to say the least, whether or not they would try to even attempt to make a phone call to move up one slot to the uh, Giants. What do you think about that? That would definitely be a, a surprise move. I, I don't think that they wouldn't. You know, I don't think they have that kind of a rivalry between the ownership groups mm-hmm. but you know that that i have n- no clue what could happen there uh i think another option might be if buffalo wants to move up and maybe get josh rosen because supposedly they're enamored with him and there's a lot of links between the new giants uh coaching staff 
Dave Gettleman, Mike Shula, and the GM and head coach out in Buffalo. Right. So they, they all know each other from Carolina. Oh, exactly. Yeah, so they're all tied in together. All right, so then now with that being said, I know Buffalo could be in the mix, and that's where the Giants, it's interesting because you would think uh, at number three, you know, the Jets, obviously they're going to, you know, they're searching for a quarterback. The Browns uh, obviously depends, I guess, what they're going to do at number one. And then you have Denver at five. The Giants, to me, are the wild card for all those spots. And then you mentioned Buffalo. And it's Mm -hmm. amazing to think because in years past, you never have that juiciness when it comes to uh, more so the Jets because they've always, you know, seemed to draft in the top 10 or even higher for that matter. <laughs> and the Giants haven't. So to me, not to say that they hold the keys to this draft, so to speak, but they could certainly make a lot of noise, whether it's, you know, to either trade back, whether it's to, you know, are they going to draft a quarterback? Are they going to draft Barkley? Are they going to, you know, like I said, move back to get the offensive guard or the pass rusher? Uh, it's just fascinating on so many levels that I'm sure it's making all the Giants fans' head spin because I'm sure they would like to know which direction they're going to go, whether they're going to go with the quarterback, the running back, or the pass rusher or offensive guard. They could go so many ways, and nobody really has a firm read on what's going on. You know, they're, they, could, they might have four different ways they could go, and they might be signaling to you know, people who are in the media who are talking to them that they might go all of those ways. No, right. No, exactly. And they could go all those ways. And uh, and to me, that's why I look at them as the wild card in all this, depending on uh, – I understand it depends on what the Browns do, but uh, I can only imagine if the Browns happen to get Barkley, would they go after that quarterback? And then just like we mentioned before, as far as, as you know, Gettleman having that conversation with Eli Manning, it could be a lot of controversy coming out of this. There could be a lot of uh, just so many different storylines just coming out of that one pick where – you know, for the fans, I'm sure not for the front office because they're looking just to make their teams better. You know, the Giants are looking to make their team better. But for us, yeah. you know, looking at it from afar, it's like, geez, you know, what's going to happen if the Browns do this? Or, all right, if the Browns expected to choose Darnold, then what are they going to do? Oh, my God, do they trade back? Uh, to me, I, I can't recall of a time, uh, and you can't even go back to 2004 because even when Eli was drafted by San Diego and the Giants then drafted uh, Phillip Rivers, they just made a straight swap. That's all it was. Where here, yeah. it, it, they could just go in a million different directions and not know you know, where this may fall. Yeah, and to think, back in January, it felt like the second overall pick was going to be you know, boring. We're going to be talking about you know, one or two players for the next three, four months, and we'll all be sick of it by the time it gets here. Yeah. Now, we have no clue what's going to happen. We get to talk about everybody. And considering what they've done so far this offseason, now it's been relatively quiet. We understand you know, last year, the year before, they – made all the uh, moves on the defensive end, and granted that they traded JPP uh, you know, just a couple months back and then obviously signed Nate Solder. That's about the extent as far as the big uh, free agent slash uh, offseason transactions that they've done. Now, obviously, they have their uh, pick coming up here. What about the rest of the draft, uh, you know, two through seven? You know, we all know that they could – oh, and they also draft, uh, got uh, Alex Ogletree. I can't forget him, the middle linebacker, which is yeah. a huge addition. Uh, yeah. I was remiss to you know not mention that. But where else do you see the Giants going here? You know, pretty much for the rest of the draft and trying to shore up the rest of this team. I definitely think uh, offensive line is going to figure in heavily. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gettleman tends to pick up offensive linemen like on the second day of the draft. I could see a guy like been hearing a lot about Austin Corbett. Uh, mm-hmm. He's a Left tackle, left tackle. He'll play guard in the NFL out of, I believe, Arizona, Nevada. Sorry, uh-huh. I had to picture the helmet for a second. <laughs> That's fine. But he's he's kind of in the same mold as like a Zach Martin, Justin Pugh type player. Yeah, not not quite an NFL left tackle, but he should be a pretty darn good guard. I uh, could also see maybe uh, Billy Price, uh, center slash guard out of. Ohio State or Frank Ragnow, same out of Arkansas. Those guys could be in uh, consideration. Uh, there's a ton of second-day linemen they could be looking at. Also, I think they'd be looking at linebackers because you know, they're, they need somebody opposite Olivier Vernon. Uh, personally, I like Lorenzo Carter out of Georgia. You know, if you remember back uh, to Leonard Floyd a couple of years ago, you know, oh, yeah. long, tall, freak athlete. Carter is basically the same player. He played the same position for Georgia. Mm-hmm. 
And I don't know if the team would do this, but I would love to see Shaquem Griffin be a giant this year. Wow. Yeah, he's been all the talk, obviously, of the uh, combine and leading up to the draft. He's, uh, of course, the one player, for those who don't know, Shaquem Griffin is uh, the player that doesn't have, I believe he doesn't have a left hand. Is that right? Yes, yeah. But obviously he's been very you know, impressive, not only throughout the combine, but of course you know, his, uh, the way he carries himself, obviously very hungry. And uh, it'll be interesting yep. to see. I, like you said, it would be a long shot. You would, won't think that the Giants would do that. But uh, hey, listen, uh, that would certainly be a first because I can't recall uh, an NFL player, uh, even if it was a punter, well, other than Tom Dempsey, I guess, who had half a foot. But think about this. Yeah. You know, when you look back at, you know, like the Jim Abbott's of the world who used to pitch for the California Angels back then and the New York Yankees, but to actually have a player, yep. especially at his position, to just have one hand uh, would certainly be, uh, you know, revolutionary in that regard. Yeah. And, but watching him on tape, it really doesn't slow him down. He is still a great tackler. He has picked off a couple balls. Yeah, he he's more or less learned how to. It's just a fact of life for him, so he plays around it. No, and that's hey, listen. That's one thing that uh, you can't. I'm sure that a lot of teams when they look at him and they see the desire and the passion that he has. I mean, you can't overlook that. And uh, I understand he has no, a huge no. liability there because you're thinking as a tackler. Again, a lot of it isn't your hands; it's just being able to get that technique to leave with the shoulder and wrap up. But like you said, uh, yep. what you see on film is uh, he has a technique and. Certainly uh, brings a lot to to the table as far as you know being that type of player where he could be an impact in this league. Yeah, he just play, he just seems to play at a different speed than everybody else on the field. So certain something that's certainly something they could use as a linebacker. No, no, without question, and that's one thing that they haven't had over the years. I mean, even going back to I guess the days of Antonio Pierce, you know, they haven't had the the stud linebacker or at least those group of linebackers. Obviously, you look back to the 80s with uh, Carl Banks and Lawrence Taylor, just to, to name those two. But uh, bringing in a guy like Ogletree and hopefully if they draft somebody that's uh, anywhere close to the ilk of an Ogletree or a, I'm not even going to go Lawrence Taylor or Carl Banks. But at the same time, that would certainly shore up which was uh, once a depleted uh, you know, linebacking core to be able to strengthen that to go up with their – Front four guys like you know Vernon that you mentioned earlier would certainly be an upgrade uh, by leaps and bounds. Yeah, the, and this happened. They picked a good year to transition to a we'll say hybrid multiple three four front from the four three they've been running for the last I don't know thirty years. Yeah, right. And then uh, no, absolutely. Yeah. Now it's funny now to turn our attention. I know the one person who's had most of this off season uh, news and not for, uh, in the positive way is, uh, Odo Beckham jr. Now I know he was, uh, reporting to camp or I guess mini camp. Uh, what was it? A couple weeks back that, uh, he said yeah. that he was, you know, was going to show up and I guess that's a good thing for him to, you know, kind of get back on the mend, you know, with his, uh, with the organization. Uh, you know, what is the latest with him? Things have been kind of quiet, I guess, which is a good thing, but, uh, you know, all the talk about trades early on and all the talk about, you know, the stuff that he's done off the field, how much has that hindered him, you know, leading up to this moment as we're just a few days away from the draft? I think, yeah, things have been pretty quiet. All I've seen from him is, you know, workout videos on Twitter and Instagram. So, you know, right. good thing that he's doing that. <laughs> of course. He, he seems to be working hard and healing up nicely, at least well enough he can be dancing with Eli in a commercial. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Forgot about that during the Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I would honestly be surprised to stunned if the Giants wound up moving him. I'm not going to stand here and say that they're definitely going to sign him long term. Uh, right. Gettleman does have a history of letting guys and this is our price. If you can find something better, go go look, yeah. but I think the team is definitely better with him than without him. Right, and of course a lot of it is, is just him getting his head on straight, and uh, I mean, we could go through all the incidents, but which we all know, uh, you would only hope that he would come in just a lot more humbled, considering he was you know, out for two-thirds of the season, uh, you know, the off-the-field stuff, I don't know how much, that, you know, that, how he feels about that, whether it's true, untrue, whatever, and you know, he comes from a good family, you know, it's not as if he's you know, the type of guy that is, you know, just just reckless with his life. 
or just kind of, you know, just I understand he dances to his own drum, but at the same time, you would think that the stability from within, you know, starting with his parents, uh, you would think that it would keep this kid a little grounded despite the wondrous talents that he has. Yeah, and I honestly don't think he's really a bad guy, you know, anything like that, you know, like, you know, Reuben Foster or Uh some of the other guys who've, popped up in the news uh, this time of year. Right. Yeah. A young guy and maybe a little led by his passions. Yeah, I could definitely see that, you know, considering, you know, whether it's some of the uh, end zone celebrations, that the one he did in Philadelphia, you know, portraying a dog or, you know, genuflecting at the uh, kicking net uh, that one time when it got the best of him the year before that. Uh, and listen, I yeah. understand. He's the type of guy, you could, he definitely plays with a lot of passion. I understand probably gets the best of him at times, whether it's uh, in the heat of competition as he did with uh, with uh, Josh Norman a couple of years back when he was with Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, and right, I agree with you on that. It's just with Gettleman down in the mix, you just kind of wonder whether or not, and he could have a monster year this year, uh, whether or not yeah. that they would retain his services, and especially he wants to have that big contract as he quoted. He wants to be paid just like a quarterback, which we know is not going to happen in this NFL but uh, let's say yeah. if he goes out and has that monster season, what does that mean, you know, for Dave Gettleman and company to try to do you go all in with this kid, or do you kind of say, well, you know what, we got the most out of him, we're not going to get anything back from him because he's a free agent. So, or I mean, of course they could franchise him, which I understand that they'll probably do that if that's the case. But still, it's going to be an ongoing emotional tug of war if he does happen to have that big season where it's just going to be too tough to let him go. Yeah, yeah, they'll probably have a bit lower tolerance than Jerry Reese might have. Right. So the I think the hardest part of all of it will be maybe harnessing his passion without dulling the edge. Because you, you look at the guys he's compared to, you know, Antonio Brown, who, you know, he has his share of, uh, we'll say questionable celebra- end zone celebrations. Agreed. And, Julio Jones, who is, you know, he's more or less the gold standard for wide receiver behavior, at right. least, you know, him and Larry Fitz. Yes. But, you know, Odell had the same number of touchdowns that Julio Jones did last year in less than a third the catches. And he has nothing like Julio Jones' athletic ability. Just, I would say, monstrous, freakish, you know. Oh, yeah. 6'3", 225, 4'3", 40. <laughs> exactly. All, so, you have to be worried that it's just that passion, that edge that makes him as good as he is. They'll turn a silly five-yard slant into an 80-yard touchdown. Yeah, uh, That's the problem that I think they have to kind of confront with him. Now, a couple other things uh, before I let you go here, Chris. The coach. Now, I know we haven't talked about him considering we've been, I don't know, about uh, 25 <laughs> minutes into the uh, yeah. conversation. Uh, I understand he's not going to have much input. Uh, on this pick, or who knows, maybe he's going to be part of the war room and say, hey, you know, I want a quarterback. I want, you know, somebody from the running back. Who knows? Because we know he's an offensive mind. Any thoughts about what he, if there is any input on his part, uh, A, and then B, your thoughts as uh, him being a giant coach? Was that more of a safe pick, you think, from Gettleman? Or was it a pick that you felt all along that uh, that's where they're going to go and they're, you know, satisfied with uh, what he's able to bring to the table? I don't know how... I'm not sure where uh, Pat Shermer ranked with uh, Matt Patricia and Josh McDaniels, mm-hmm. but I think they're happy they got him. Uh, he has a really good record of developing quarterbacks, getting the most out of his out of that position and his offenses in general. If he won nine games with the Browns, <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> which is that's almost like winning the Super Bowl when you think about it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure they've won nine games since he's since he left. No, you're probably right. If we calculate it, you're uh, probably less than that. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think they did well uh, hiring Shermer. I think he's got a a good personality for the job. He, you know, I don't think the job is too big for him. I don't think he's – I the fact that he's already cut his teeth as a head coach, mm-hmm. you know, he knows what not to do. Right. Um, and I sincerely hope that he has a pretty loud voice in the room on draft night. Uh, yeah. I think some of the problems in the past have been that, you know, not that Jerry Reese is a bad scout or, a, you know, a bad evaluator of talent, 
but he and Tom Coughlin and Ben McAdoo just kind of saw the game of football a little bit differently mm-hmm. and could never quite get on the same page. No, that's excellent stuff. And I would think that with Shermer being in a mix, and who knows, you know, sometimes when you get that second chance, uh, this could possibly be your last opportunity to be a head coach. So I would think that he would want to have some input or, hey, not to say that he has to go in there and say, I want this guy, I want that guy, because, of course, it's all up to Gettleman. But at the same time, I'm yeah. sure whatever input that he's going to bring to the table is going to be fruitful uh, you know, for not only the organization but even more so for his coaching career because he may look at this as his last attempt at being a head coach despite the fact that he you know, coached the Browns, and we all know how the Browns are as an organization, but I'm sure he's yeah. probably looking at this as, hey, this could be it for me. Uh, and if not to say that this first pick is going to make or break him as a, as a coach of the Giants, but uh, I'm sure it'll be a great start if he's able to get some sort of input towards the uh, pick of this, uh, you know, this first round. Oh yeah, yeah. He he knows what he needs for his offense, his scheme, and hopefully he's you know getting a pretty good uh, relationship with Mike Shule and James Betcher, so they they're all on the same page. And one other thing about Shermer which obviously Tom Coughlin, as great as he was, and obviously we know his uh, resume, and then Ben McAdoo, who was here for a year and a half. Uh, I also think it's important for Shermer, like you said, he's to be that loud voice in the room come draft night. I also feel as if he needs to be that loud voice in the locker room because, uh, as we talked about, Odell's behavior, whether it be uh, more so on the field than off, and then you had the situation last year with Landon Collins and Eli Apple. Obviously there was a rift between them two, which of course they've you know, buried the hatchet on that. I would think that with the personalities on this team, uh, especially the aforementioned players, and of course these are big players. You know, we're not talking about just uh, special teams players or role players. We're talking about all pro type players. Uh, I would think yeah. that this is going to be, you know, this camp right here is was also critical, just like we mentioned before, uh, of him putting his stamp on this team and knowing that there should be no nonsense. Now we don't know Shermer to be that type of guy, a la you know Tom Coughlin going back to his days at Jacksonville and even those first few years as a Giant coach. But you would think that Shermer is going to try to, if not have an iron fist, but certainly uh, lay down the law here in this first giant training camp coming up this summer. One of the first things they said about Shermer, which, you know, probably a not-so-subtle dig at Ben McAdoo, is that he, he's an adult. Yeah, you, <laughs> right. you, hope, you, know, you, you hope you can come in and be maybe not a drill instructor in there, but at least be firm and hold everyone accountable, and that – that should include himself and his coaches. Leadership starts at the top, and if there isn't accountability, it's just going to beat down. Basically get what we had last year. And listen, I know it's too far to get into a uh, little preview as far as what to see. We still have to get through the whole draft, and if there's any other uh, you know, signings, fringe free agent signings that may happen, of course we don't know about injuries coming into the, uh, you know, coming into the uh, preseason, but... Uh, your overall Hopefully take, none. right? No, of course, <laughs> but but your overall take of the direction of this organization, considering everything that happened last year. You know, when you look at McAdoo, uh, the way he handled the whole Eli mess in Oakland, bringing in Geno as opposed to Davis Webb. Not only that, I also got to throw his name in the mix too, which I'll do in a second. But do you think now, with having the head coach here, and you would think after this draft, which we'll kind of wait and see, that you think that the uh, ship has been rightened here? You know, after the whole Ben McAdoo disaster of last year. I think they're in pretty good hands. Yeah, you know, maybe a little too early, to, depending on what you mean by you know, having the ship righted. But I think they're it's definitely on its way. Yeah, you know, I, I feel good about where where they're at and generally where they're headed. Pretty much by ship righted is just uh, with just all, everything that happened last year between uh, the McAdoo handling of the quarterback situation. We know about the uh, Odell. You know some of the stuff that we already talked about, Landon Collins, et cetera. Uh, you would think that with the new GM and the new coach that uh, all that's pretty much been erased and now they could uh, you know, set sail with moving forward knowing that you know, all that's behind them and they could uh, go about business uh, the way the giant way has normally been. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh. And I, I don't think we'll see a replay of last year. I think they'll pick up some wins. You know, they've got a tough schedule this year, which they always seem to. Right. Yeah, you know, they're not the Patriots. They don't get to play the AFC East <laughs> right. every year. No. Yeah, but I, th- I think they'll pick up some wins, and I think they've got more talent on the roster than they showed last year. I think they had a big problem with players just underperforming. No, I totally agree with you. And listen, they were a playoff team the year before, 3-13, and which obviously nobody had seen 
you know, that came out of nowhere. And then now I would think that they should be a fringe playoff team. And not only that, even with the Eagles, you know, winning a Super Bowl and, you know, who knows what the hangover the year after, uh, I still think that could be a division. Now, again, way too soon to handicap that, but I think that could be a, a division that they can, if not take, will certainly be in the mix for a wild card. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When the schedule came out, I got, I got the, um, let's say, dubious honor of doing the way too early prediction. And I had them going 8-8. Eight and eight. Okay. I, I think they could do better than that. They might do worse. You know, you know, the house is being renovated, so we don't quite know what the finished product is going to be. Right. Now, uh, Davis, we have two more before I let you go, Chris. And, again, I appreciate sure. uh, you know taking the time out to uh, – Discuss all this. Uh, Davis Webb. Now, that's one guy, of course, we just mentioned a couple of minutes ago that we probably should have mentioned at the top. Uh, we all know about the controversy last year. We all thought that maybe he should have started that game in Oakland just to kind of get an idea as to what type of player he is. Uh, obviously, we've never seen him play in a pro setting before or at least in a uh, regular season game before. Uh, do you yeah. think that with him on the roster, does that factor into their decision-making on drafting a quarterback unless Sam Darnold is available? Uh, or do you feel as if, hey, you know, he's just going to be another guy that's going to come in and compete for a job, and, hey, if the chips fall where they may, and if he's on the team, great. If not, then, you know, they'll just cut bait. Um, I'll say it might. Um, yeah, I liked Davis Webb coming out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I thought he could use a year or two of development, but I also think he has the tools. You know, physically, he is... Everybody raves about Josh Allen. Davis Webb is right there. Wow. He's only a little bit less athletic. He's basically the same size. His arm might be a, a fraction weaker. You know, he, he throws deep routes. He throws some of the prettiest deep balls I've seen. Mm. And basically everyone raves about his work ethic and leadership abilities. So you don't want to bet against a guy like that to develop his tools. However, he did have, you know, he had some problems coming out. He had, you know, like Josh Allen and also Sam Darnold, his mechanics were, you know, inconsistent. You know, his accuracy and ball placement were inconsistent, I think is fair. Mm-hmm. So you could see him you know, being anywhere between, depending on how you feel about some of the quarterbacks this year, between fourth and fourth and sixth on the list this year, at least the guy coming out. Right. What we don't know is where he is now, because you know he did get the mini camp. He had training camp. He had practices all throughout the year, even though he wasn't getting the lion's share of the reps. And he has, by all appearances, been working his butt off in the off season. Hmm. So, you know, he'll get his more or less extended pro day this week. So he m- might show them enough to say, you know what. We think we have something here, but if you think you've got a franchise quarterback sitting there at the top of the draft and you don't feel that you have a franchise quarterback, all the you know, future franchise quarterback already on the roster, you can't not take the guy in the draft. Right. No, I, I hope that made sense. No, no, <laughs> no, no, I know where you're coming from. And that's obviously that's something that the front office has to uh, decipher. Um, and again, that as we've said several times throughout this podcast, you know that's what's going to make this and their selection. If uh, that quarterback that they covet happens to fall into their lap, if they do select them, if not, then hey, I'm sure they'll probably move forward with uh, Davis Webb and Eli, and he'll be the uh, heir apparent. But uh, again, we're not going to know that until uh, after Thursday night, and uh, I'm sure all the uh, the pundits and uh, the talking heads they're certainly going to be uh, wondering. Uh, after the fact, as to what direction they're going to go, you know, with the, the quarterback situation, if it just so happens that they don't draft, uh, if Donald doesn't fall in their lap, or if they go ahead and you know draft a running back, whatever it may be. And again, I know I'm re- repeating myself over and over, but that's what makes this uh, all the more uh, just tantalizing and just uh, juicy as far as storylines yeah. concerned. Yep. So, uh, and one last thing, or two things, before I uh, say goodbye, I'm going to put you on the spot here. And like I said, I'm going to bookend this as you see where I was going. At the very top, I asked you about if you're Dave Gettleman, who would you draft number two overall and why? So now, if you had a crystal ball, who do you think the Giants draft? I would say, when does the draft start? Around 8 o'clock. So you figure with that second pick, uh, I don't know, somewhere around 8.30 Thursday night, 
the Giants select who? I'll go with uh, Saquon Barkley, hmm. running back, Penn State. All right, interesting. I, this would be this yeah. would have been the best Provi- year. Oh, go ahead. What are you gonna say? I'll say, provided the Browns don't throw a curveball and select Josh Allen or a real curveball and go for Baker Mayfield. Oh wow! Which yeah, it could happen. Yeah, Scott yeah. McLuhan's there. He thinks Baker's the next Brett Favre. Mm. This would have been the year that the draft should have been in New York. And for so many years it has been. I know they were in Chicago a couple of years, last year in Philadelphia, this year yep. in Dallas. Could you imagine what the uh, – there's already enough hype and hoopla surrounding the Giants and Jets picking back-to-backs, you know, two and three. Imagine if this was actually at Radio City this year. I, I, it, the oh. buzz would have been just off the charts. Oh, they blow the roof off. Yeah. Which I wish they'd never moved. I love Radio City. Yeah. I, I agree. I agree. I, yeah, it, just the look, the history – Oh, well. Yep, that's Listen, my decision. No, I know. Exactly. That's uh, <laughs> way above my pay grade. Yeah, <laughs> no, absolutely. And certainly way above mine as well. All right. And, uh, Chris, I don't know if you want to plug anything. You want to plug the site, Twitter, whatever, where people could find you, find your columns. Uh, not yep. only that, uh, I'm sure they're going to be interested to find out uh, your take, uh, I'm sure, either late Thursday night or early Friday morning on uh, your viewpoint of this uh, NFL draft. All right. Uh, you can find my stuff on Big Blue View. Basically, at least – one thing going up every day on Twitter. Uh, I write under my own name and my handle is at Raptor Mark two or MKII on Twitter. That's basically where I am. Fantastic. And I'm sure you'll probably, I hope you get a few more followers based on this conversation that you and I just had. So uh, Chris, once again, I appreciate all your time, uh, your insight, everything that you provided here on the podcast and uh, who knows, maybe uh, during training camp or right after training camp before the season starts, we'll have you back on to do a, uh, a handicap of the 2018 season. Yeah, and thanks for having me on. Hey, anytime, Chris. Thanks again. All right, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Chris. He certainly gave you a lot of insight as to what the Giants should do come Thursday and beyond. Uh, definitely a fascinating scenario as to which direction they'll go with the first pick. Me personally, I've said this all along. This is a quarterback-driven league. Without the QB, you're going nowhere. Simply put, you need to draft a quarterback at this position. You never know when the Giants are going to be back in this slot to be able to pick one of possibly four or even five quarterbacks. I get it. This isn't the class of 83 or the class of 2004, which the Giants were a part of, Obviously, with Eli Manning, Phillip Rivers, and Ben Roethlisberger. And then prior to that in 83 with Jim Kelly, John Elway, and Dan Marino. But as we all know, with the rumors that have been flying around, I understand Saquon Barkley is being highly touted coming out of Penn State. And he's likely to get drafted in the top 10. But is he really going to be the difference maker on this Giants team? Despite the fact they have firepower throughout. Obviously, Odell Beckham Jr., Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram. I, I get it. But is Saquon Barkley going to be that missing link, that final piece to this giant offensive puzzle? We all know the offensive line, although it's gotten better over the years, but it's certainly not in the top five. It's certainly not top-notch when it goes across the league as far as that's concerned. And plus, when you're going to draft a running back that high, which a lot of these rumors may be, I get that the Giants could go the other way and draft the safe pick with the offensive guard, Quentin Nelson from Notre Dame. But to draft a guard, he's not a left tackle. So to draft a, draft a guard with the number two pick overall could be a little bit of a reach. I get that they don't have pass rush like they once did. Of course, Jason Pierre-Paul now down in Tampa Bay. And with uh, Brandon Chubb out there, the linebacker from NC State, if this was the Jerry Reese tenure, we know for sure we probably would go in that direction. As we all know, they love to stockpile those pass rushers, which was part of the formula for winning those Super Bowls that they did back in 42 and 46. But to get a running back that high in the draft, for me, this does not make sense. And for several reasons. One, you're paying for a position where the player gets hit on every play, meaning the odometer and tread on the tires wears a lot faster than the other skilled positions. Two, we all know that this is a passing league. It's been like this for the last decade and a half, and you can win without a dominant running back. Now, Adrian Peterson... People may say, well, hey, he's the exception. He won an MVP back in 2012. But I don't see any rings on his finger. In fact, 
in one of the key moments in that 2009 NFC title game between the Vikings and Saints, he had a crucial fumble, which led to points for the Saints tying the game. And then if you remember, the one turnover that certainly gets all the publicity is Brett Favre throwing across his body as they were pretty much getting into field goal range and he got picked off there. I think it was Darren Sharper of all people. And now we all know where Darren Sharper is. For the guy like Adrian Peterson or for the guy like Darren McFadden, who was number four overall, drafted out of Arkansas, you know, these are guys that have not even sniffed a Super Bowl or come close to it. And I understand that they've had their moments in the league. Obviously, Adrian Peterson being an MVP and McFadden obviously was a very, very good running back for the Oakland Raiders. But it's not the end-all, be-all, the final missing piece, whatever it may be, when it comes to completing an offensive set to try to put yourself to the next level, whether it be into the playoffs or whether it be a deep run into the postseason or, more importantly, where all 30 GMs and all owners want to aspire to be our Super Bowl champions. So when you have guys like that in the mix, right, are they going to make your team better? Absolutely. But because of the premium of how high that pick is, what you're going to pay them down the road, the beating that they take, because we all know the running backs, you know, life expectancy in the NFL is about three and a half years. And granted, this kid is going to be special. We all have heard about what he's going to do as far as coming into the league. He's going to take the lead by storm, et cetera, et cetera. All right, well, we need to see that first. Pros are a whole different ball of wax as opposed to the college game. And this isn't a knock on Saquon Barkley. This isn't a knock on Adrian Peterson. Darren McFadden, all those running backs that came before him. But again, to me, the running back position is not a premium position. When you look at a roster, you're going to look at quarterback, left tackle, pass rusher, cornerback. Those are the top positions on the field that you need to fill first and foremost. And for reasons that I certainly don't need to delve into. It's as simple as that. Not only that, think about this, people. When I just talked about McFadden, and Adrian Peterson, how did the uh, Browns, with their number three pick overall back in 2012, Trent Richardson, Alabama, was a very good college running back. How did he do in the pros? And it's a thing. They actually flipped him to Indianapolis for a first-round pick. First-round pick? Trent Richardson? I don't care if he was O.J. Simpson. You're certainly not going to flip a number one or try to get you know send the number one to a team for a running back who, in this case, didn't do anything. But you could put me at running back on some of these teams. And right, I'm not going to rush for you know 1,600 yards, but I'll do just enough depending on the system that I'm in. And away we go. Now, I did a little homework. This is dating back to 2010. These are all the running backs that were taking in the first round. You ready for this? 2010. C.J. Spiller, Buffalo Bills, ninth pick overall. Ryan Matthews, San Diego Chargers, 12th pick overall. 2011, Mark Ingram, or Ingram, excuse me, 28th overall by the New Orleans Saints. Remember, he had just come off a Heisman Trophy and went all the way down to 28. Was he in the top three, four? Anybody look at him and say, hey, you know, we got to get this guy to be a part of our team? I'm sure there was a need for a running back in the other 27 spots. The aforementioned Trent Richardson, third overall. In 2013, no running backs were taken in the first round. Same for 2014. In 2015, Todd Gurley was 10th overall, selected by the St. Louis Rams, the then St. Louis Rams. And Melvin Gordon of the San Diego Chargers was selected at 15. Now Gurley has turned out to be a very productive back. He's a big back, and he's still very early in his career. Was a runner-up to the MVP of the NFL last year, and rightfully so. But again... With this team upcoming, which is going to be fascinating to see because they're loaded. They had a lot of turnover in L.A. They had a very good year last year. 10-6, and made the postseason, hosted a playoff game, won a division. But now let's see where this team goes as they head into the deeper end of the pool. And we'll see the production of Gurley and Gurley in big spots. Not in the regular season. He can rush for 1,600 yards, be co-MVP, but let's see what he does in the postseason. And in fact, off the top of my head, I should have checked the stats to see how his playoff game was. If you look at his numbers... Throughout the course of the regular season, they're dominant. We need to know what's going to happen in the postseason. That's where it's really going to shine, and that's what it's all about. Because he can rack up all the yards he can between weeks 1 and 17. It's what you do from week 17 on in order for it to stick. In 2016, 
Ezekiel Elliott, number four overall. And we get it that he had a dominant rookie year. To me, he was more of a product of the being behind the best offensive line in football down in Dallas. And, you know, that was Jerry's pick. He was hoping to try to catch his version of Emmett Smith, you know, circa the 90s with the triplets. But again, that offense was nowhere near in comparison to the offense that you have here today. This offense today, as we all know, the way it's constructed with Dak Prescott. Now you have Des Bryant out the door. So that means more of a workload for Ezekiel Elliott this upcoming season. And again, even in that postseason game against the Packers, where I believe he had over 100 yards, and granted this is more an indictment on Jason Garrett not giving him the ball in big spots there in the fourth quarter to chew up yards and eat clock, certainly didn't get them past a divisional round in which they were 13-3 and in that regular season and obviously did not even make it to the conference championship the following week. And then last year, you had Leonard Fournette at four, which he had a very good rookie year. I had a very good playoff as well. And Christian McCaffrey, who the jury still out at number eight. So after reading all that, that whole list of players, it just goes to show you that, and mind you, there's some very good running backs that were taken there and some were very bad. But it doesn't necessarily mean that if the Giants are going to draft Saquon Barkley with this pick, that right away they're going to a Super Bowl or they're going to a conference championship. It goes without saying, no guarantee, people. That's all, that's all I'm trying to dispute here. I'm not trying to look at it like, oh, Saquon Barkley's going to fail here if he gets drafted or wherever else he goes. He's not going to be you know, an integral part of that team that's going to take him to a Super Bowl. You know, I'm not trying to, to knock on a guy, but it's all about the system and it's about what the league is. And the league, as we've seen it time and time again, and I certainly don't need to go through all the teams and the numbers, et cetera, but it's a passing league. Running back is nice to have. And even if you got a guy that just rushes for 1,000 or 1,100 yards, that's good enough. You know, you just don't want to be at the bottom of the rushing statistics when it comes to as a team, let alone just having one player. But having that 1,600-yard rush, although looks sexy on a stat sheet and looks sexy in an offense, but again, does not equate to championships by any stretch of the imagination. And not only that, here are a brief list of running backs that weren't taken in the first round that are at the top of the league or close to it. Le'Veon Bell and LaShawn McCoy. And I understand LaShawn McCoy is a little long in the tooth, but they were both drafted in the second round. Dalvin Cook was also a second-round pick before he tore his knee up. I understand he just pretty much got here as he was drafted last year for the Minnesota Vikings. And moving forward, you would think that once he's healthy, he's going to be pretty much at the top of the food chain when it comes to running backs in the National Football League. Kareem Hunt had a very impressive rookie season in Kansas City. He's a third-round pick. David Johnson, a lot of people, when he's healthy, although his stats don't really back up and his performance doesn't back up a lot of the reputation that he gets because he is a big, bruising, you know, physical specimen, but it certainly hasn't equated to a lot of production on the field, but a lot of people think that he could be a dominant player. He was in the third round. And then Jordan Howard of the Chicago Bears was drafted in the fifth round, and I understand he plays on a team that's awful and doesn't get a lot of the pub or the press, but here's a guy that was drafted in the fifth round and has had a couple of productive years with the Chicago Bears. So you could find these running backs on trees for the most part, and you don't need to have that one guy, whether he is an Earl Campbell type, Walter Payton, Emmitt Smith, Barry Sanders, and the list goes on. And there's another case in point, too. Barry Sanders, what has he ever won in this career? And that's not knocking Barry Sanders. I understand a lot of it has to do with the organization. It has to do with the structure of their offense. And they had a very good offense back then. Quarterback wasn't great, but you had Herman Moore. You had Brett Perriman, wide receivers. You know, you had guys on that team that could catch the ball. And it just wasn't all Barry Sanders. Didn't have the greatest offensive line, but again, you get my drift. That's my point, people. You don't need to draft a running back that high when you can get them in the lower rounds. And again, we don't know where the Giants are going to go. You know, can they go with Quentin Nelson? I, I wouldn't, only because he's a guard, unless you're going to move him to tackle. But then again, you don't want to do that. It's easier to go tackle to guard than guard to tackle because the whole different set of encyclopedias when you're changing from guard to tackle. And if this was Jerry Reese's team, he probably would go with a pass rusher. As I mentioned, Brandon Chubb from NC State. But... This is the Dave Gettleman era. It's a new sheriff in town. Who knows what he's going to do. We'll see come Thursday night. And obviously we'll 
know a lot more about this front office, about the direction of where this team's going to go based on that one pick. Do they trade down and maybe get Nelson at number five with Denver? Do they hang on to the pick and draft a quarterback? Again, my vote, draft a quarterback. Case closed. All right, now on to Matt Harvey. I mean, this is it for him, you know, as we know it, you know, playing in a Met uniform. You know, we know the history. He went from dark night to good night, seemingly overnight. You know, that guy no longer exists. I mean, we haven't seen that in minimum two years. To think when he last pitched in 2015 in game five of the World Series, I mean, that was the last of Matt Harvey as we know it. Because since then, he has just not been anything close to what he once was. Is he ever going to be half of what he once was? I think it's a big fat no. You know, I watched his start closely the other night against Atlanta. You know, it was topping at 92. He used to top at 98. You know, even last year, he was touching 95 on the gun at least before he went on the DL. But the problem then is it is now his fastball straight. There's no late movement. There's no rise. Nothing. You know, and not only that, I think his confidence is shot. It, you know, isn't what it once was due to the injuries. You know, I, I my theory is, is that if he's pitching the way a running back or a point guard would be coming back off of a severe knee injury, a la Derrick Rose when he was with the Chicago Bulls, you know, just being a lot of a lot of hesitancy, you know, doubt, you know, not wondering if he should throw this pitch at this time, not having the full one thousand percent arm strength that he was able to make that pitch even last year. Because there were times, like I said, he did clock ninety five on the gun, and you would think, all right, well, he's not ninety eight anymore, but we could certainly you know, get a fastball over at the plate at the knees, you know, on the black when he needs to. And we get it part of his command too. But he certainly doesn't have that anymore. That's gone. And I don't know if, you know, not maxing out at 100% before Tommy John or the thoracic outlet syndrome has been a hindrance in his mind, more so than in his arm. But my theory, again, it's quite possible because we're not, Seeing the results, you know, the results are not there. On top of that, you don't see the swag. You don't see the charisma. You don't see the demeanor isn't there anymore. Like, you don't see that fire in his eyes. You know, he gives up a hit. He gives up a bloop. You know, it's just like, oh, here we go again. You know, for him to bear down and to rear back and get that big strikeout or make that big pitch, it's just not there anymore. And I understand he thinks he's a starting pitcher. You know, it's... All he's known his whole life. But if he wants to continue or persevere, or even preserve, I should say, his baseball life, this may be a resort that many before him, a la John Smoltz and Dennis Eckersley, to name a couple, you know, they've been successful making that transition to the bullpen. And by the way, they're both in the Hall of Fame. You know, that's not to say Matt Harvey will be, nor should he be mentioned in the same breath with those pitchers, but it's just the example. You know, here's a guy, a one Matthew Edward Harvey. You know, he captured this fan base, captured me, you know, a must watch for all of his early starts, I mean, whenever he pitched, happy Harvey day, you know, the dark night, as Tom Verducci coined back in 2013 on the cover of Sports Illustrated, you know, started the all-star game at City Field, which I saw with my own eyes, how electric the building was in those first two innings when he pitched, you know, being the toast of the town, I understand with the supermodels, all the off the field stuff, which I couldn't care less, but he had that persona. You know, this guy was going to be the second coming of Tom Seaver. But the injuries and his confidence has derailed all this. And now with him going to the bullpen, this is it. This is his last hurrah. You know, if we haven't seen what he's really made up of until this point, then we're certainly going to find out. You know, I'm not going to predict what his stint will be as a reliever. I'm not going to tell you what he's going to do. He's going to come in safe situations. He's going to strike outside. I, I don't know. You know, he could flame out as a middle reliever, for all I know. He could possibly rise to the occasion. You know, what if he can't get those big outs in the 5th, 6th, and 7th innings that he couldn't get in the 1st, 2nd, or 3rd innings? You know, this is why I and we all watch sports. Because we get to watch this story unfold right before our eyes. So with all that said, the bottom line, it's all up to him. What is it between his ears and in his heart that he has left for this season that's going to lead him into free agency and beyond. It's all up to him. 
All right, and lastly, if I'm a Washington Capitals fan, and again, I know people are going to look at this like, Jay Reels, what are you doing? Washington Capitals? Nobody cares. Why, why bring up this team? They're not from New York. They're a team that's never done anything in their history. All right, they made it to a cup final in 98. But why? Why are you bringing it up? I mean, this is a team that I follow closely, not as a fan, but when you look at all the years, especially in the Alex Ovechkin era, when you see what this team has done to just fall flat on their face, whether they've won President Cups, that's for the most points as a team in the NHL. Whether it's as a one seed, leading three games to one against a Montreal Canadian team that they actually gagged and spit the bit over the final three games back in 2010 and lost in the first round. I mean, how many Game 7s did they lose to the Rangers? I know a lot of those were at the Garden, but still, tons of Game 7s. They lost two brutal Game 7s at home against the hated Pittsburgh Penguins, which I believe they'll face in the next round if they win tonight. That's why this storyline is so juicy. And for a team that's had a transcendent player, a guy that has the talent, the physical ability over the last 20 years that we haven't seen. Speed, power, strength, some toughness. I mean, not the toughness that I like if you're going to go back to the late 70s, early 80s, but that's a story for another day. But a guy in Alexander Ovechkin who is just a great all-around player. For him to, and his team to fall short on so many occasions... It's unfathomable to think that such a great player loses so many Game 7s. And I understand it's not all on him. I'm not trying to just pin this on him. But it's inconceivable to think that they've lost so many Game 7s over the years and they have not been able to get to a conference final in the process. That's what makes this story juicy to me. And in this series against Columbus, they were down 0-2 going to Columbus. So you're thinking, oh, they're probably going to get swept here. Or they're not going to make it out of this first round already down 0-2. Well, guess what? They've won the last three games, including two overtime games. Game three in double overtime. And now they're in Columbus tonight for a game six. And if somehow, some way they lose tonight and go back home for a game seven, I'm sure their fans are expecting a disaster unlike all the other ones. Because here it is. They were down 0-2. They won three in a row. They're in the driver's seat. And then they got to come back for a game seven. This is a movie that they've probably seen 10 times too many, let alone one time too many. Or who knows? Maybe this is the year they break the hex. They make a long run in the postseason, you know, or even, dare I say, get to a cup final and win it all. You know, sometimes in order to break a jinx, a la the 2004 Boston Red Sox, they need to do the unthinkable. And after being down 2-0, or 0-2, however you look at it, having to go on the road in this series, perhaps a good start for them to overcome all that if they were to win tonight. Or dare, if I even go there, try to hold the collective breaths of Washington Capitals fans throughout the D.C. area and try to pull this off on a Game 7 on Wednesday night. Going back to what I said about Matt Harvey, this is why I and we watch sports. Because we get to watch it unfold right in front of our eyes. All right, a couple of quickies before I sign off. Uh, I'm working on getting the Jets' perspective of the NFL draft. Uh, still waiting to get confirmation. I'm hoping to get that confirmation in the next day or so because I want to have that discussion up by Thursday at 7 p.m., you know, right before the draft. Uh, also planning on getting my old radio partner, uh, J.D., into the mix. His schedule's been pretty hectic. We haven't seemed to target a date and time to get this interview recorded, so uh, certainly keep you posted on that. Also have a couple others brewing which have been in the works. And again, a lot of this is just being able to lock down dates and times to record these conversations. And that's all that lies in between them being edited and posted on the website at jreels.com. And of course, you could check me out on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. If you like what you hear, want to leave a review, post a rating, subscribe, please do so, people. I would certainly greatly appreciate it. Or wherever you listen to your podcasts, the more people subscribe, and leave a review, uh, all the stuff that I've uh, just mentioned. It'll increase visibility amongst the podcast with others out there, which will generate a wider audience and attract more guests. Uh, just remember, people, go to your phone, press the app, uh, the podcast app for those iPhone users, for the Galaxy users and beyond. I certainly don't know, but I'm sure that there's an app that you could 
just hit podcast, search, type in the J-Rolls podcast. All you got to do is just hit subscribe. That's it. Just a matter of seconds. For the latest info regarding guests, announcements, and the like, please go to jreels.com as your source for any and everything regarding the podcast. If you'd like to send an email with thoughts, comments, or questions, you could do that at thejreelspodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to check my social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, jreels, or jreels1 on Twitter, the number one. Uh, Once again, people, I truly thank you for carving out a few precious moments to download and listen to the program. I'm forever grateful for your support. And, of course, share those with those that may be interested or who follow sports as word of mouth is just as important as me posting this up on the Internet, social media, on my website, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central, South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless, everybody. And until next time on the J-Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.